0: Inside the Lab, we're back to talk trades ahead of the looming start to the 2019-20 NBA season with TradeNBA.com's creator, Zach Rodriguez, the sport's best trade picker, in my opinion. But before that, we will get started talking Team USA, as Zach happens to be a big fan of Coach Greg Popovich's San Antonio Spurs. Welcome back, Zach. How have you been? I've been great. Thanks for having me. Now, not a lot of people really know the the backstory of how you got involved uh, with creating a trade picker in the first place. Maybe you could give us a couple of of words on the connection between the San Antonio Spurs and how you got involved with this trade picker in the first place.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've lived in Texas pretty much all my life. When I ended up finishing college, I uh, started doing software development for a job. Uh noticed the Spurs had a job opening position for uh, some software applications that they were doing. Uh, so I applied for it. Um, one of the interview steps was kind of making a mock trades uh, trade machine. And so that's where I kind of learned about um, mm-hmm. like the SPN trade machine, the uh, real GM's trade machine or trade checker. Uh, and that's where I kind of started trying to make one for the interview. And then afterwards, I just carried on with it and tried to make a, a real version of it um, that I can make an improved version of what was out there. And so since then, I've just been making improvements to it. Uh, adding features that that users have requested and still going
0: on I really have enjoyed watching it take off too it's become really really popular uh, among a lot of the people that I work with and I, I really love being able to you know continue to try to get it out there for you uh, or help get it out there for you Um, just because I'm a a real big fan of the features. But before I get ahead of myself and dive into what we're going to do the lab on today, I wanted to talk a bit about Team USA since I know you've been following uh, a lot closer than maybe a lot of other NBA fans because of the San Antonio Spurs connection, the way that, you know, us Team Shamrock as we've become, you know, fond of calling the four members of the Boston Celtics who have been taking place or taking part in team usa just just your general thought on the absolute and total flop that it ended up becoming uh and maybe some some perspective on who if anybody should be being blamed for this so my first question for you really is should we even be upset at all i mean there's so many dropouts injuries and everything else going on i just kind of want to get your general feel for the whole team usa debacle or experience if you want to be a little more positive about it
1: yeah uh i mean it was, it was nice seeing pop out there with all the different players from other teams and kind of networking um as a spurs fan so it's it's nice to to kind of see him kind of recruiting per se but just uh just other players from other teams kind of having that experience of kind of him being his, their coach and trying to see you know is it really uh our players you know does he make our players great just because he's a great coach or can he go out there and be a good coach with other players and and see how successful he can be in the field. And so I lately from other podcasts and things I've been listening to a lot of people have been putting some kind of blame on Popovich for um, his performance and kind of the outcome and the flop that we had out there. But uh, I think it was just nice to see uh, different players take the court than the usual stars that, that we usually see. And so a lot of Boston players, um, I know got a lot of time on there. Uh, Derek White from the Spurs uh, looked pretty good. Uh, we got to see a lot of him this year just because DeJounte Murray from the Spurs went down. So during the regular season, he was pretty pretty good. And um, it was nice seeing him finally get a spot in Team USA and just see what he could do there. He didn't have too high of numbers, um, but I think just as a teammate, um, he helped others on, on the court. So it was nice to see. I um, was kind of scared as a Spurs fan of him getting hurt. So I kind of would have preferred that he didn't make the team. Um, But yeah, it's nice of him coming out there healthy at least. And so I'm just looking forward to the season. And in general, I think a lot of players kind of dropped out trying to remain focused on the the regular season, the playoffs, and not trying to get hurt. And I can understand that. And as a Spurs fan, I just want all their players to be healthy for this season.
0: Yeah, I totally feel what you're talking about when we saw Jason Tatum go down. Uh, I think we, we shared a similar feeling to when white got injured, uh, second guessing the value of this venture. I've, I've since, uh, almost immediately, really, I, I calmed down and I'm, I'm still pretty supportive, you know, significant injuries in these events are, as has been pointed out at infinitum elsewhere, something that they would be facing in regular pickup games in regular training, it's just the kind of thing that it tends to happen. Um, but the thing that really interested me that you mentioned was Popovich's role in this, and I am actually uh, I am a little reticent to to blame him very much, but there is at least a little bit of blame I think to go his way, and that he seemed really unwilling to to change up um, his coaching of the roster that he had in a way that is reminiscent to some of the critiques. He has been given as coach of the Spurs. He is very slow to react once he's comfortable with a rotation. Um, and it seemed like he was not real comfortable with the FIBA game either. He seemed like he, the the, the, the coach that I know and how he adapts to the NBA's rules uh it doesn't quite seem like he was responding in the same way, uh, running things that were as effective as I'm used to seeing him run. So I'm curious whether or not you thought that the whole, the the, the process of being relatively new to the FIBA game itself, at least as, as the head coach um, was a factor.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I didn't really feel that same sort of intensity uh, from, I don't know if it was his coaching or just maybe some of the players just weren't hundred percent into it, but, yeah, he seemed to struggle uh, calling plays. And it just, as you said, he didn't adapt to the games as he usually would. Uh, calling, you know, different plays, putting different people in uh, later towards the game, trying to to figure things out. It's kind of just like this, the, the ship was sinking, you know, just kind of let it keep going. You know, it's nice to see players like Patty Mills from Australia uh, perform really well. So it's like when we were playing, um, playing them uh, as a Spurs fan, it's like, yeah, we lost. But, you know, it's great to see them do good. You know, Aaron Baines, also on team who's former Celtic, right? Uh, it's nice seeing him uh, progress and keep getting better. Uh, so, there's a lot of players, you know, from other countries that I enjoyed seeing. So, even though the USA did uh, kind of flop this year, it was nice seeing other players kind of excel in their teams and their countries and represent
0: well. It's it's definitely been something that we had the benefit of joining, not just through Baines, but also Vincent Parier, who I'm probably murdering his name, uh, who's coming over from France to become a rookie for the Boston Celtics. Uh besides that there is Daniel Tice who was playing for Germany for the Celtics. Now you had Patty Mills playing for Australia. Did you have anybody else for the Spurs who were playing for teams besides Team USA?
1: I want to say one well, former Spur. I don't know. I saw something that he was playing Boris Diaw. I don't know if he was actually playing or if that was just something that I read, but
0: I think Dia was involved. I think he was involved with with one of the, I think the French national teams. Uh yeah, yeah, I, want to say I don't that. think he was playing. I think he has Progressed on to the management. Excuse the sirens in the background. uh, For those readers who do not regularly listen, uh, I am located in Mexico City in the lovely police department in this region. Love to run by my house with their sirens on to let me know that I'm safe, which (laughs) which I do appreciate except for when I'm podcasting. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about was who stood out on this team for you? I mean, not just necessarily for Spurs or Celtics players, but like as a whole, who do you see as the players who really were the most interesting slash breakout slash worthwhile players to have followed for Team USA. And do you see any, uh, anything from this carrying over into anyone's uh, development coming season or anything like that?
1: Uh, I think uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, did pretty well. You know, Derek White kind of just jumped in there towards the end. Uh, I think he did he did well. I think initially he had a great spark that would have led you to believe he would have performed a lot better and kind of carried the team a little more. It kind of dwindled as, as the games progressed, but I think he did well as well. Uh, of course, a lot of the Celtics players um, I think performed well. I'm sure they're a lot more used to playing with each other since they're on the same team, so I'm sure that helped just as far as communication.
0: Yes and no. Yes and no. Because, I mean, one of the subplots really uh, was kind of like rebuilding chemistry, which, you know, if we're going to judge the results of Team USA on that, uh, you know, they they were trying to connect with Kemba Walker, who we just signed, but also to kind of wash away some of the ISO heavy play, the individual agendas. And at least from my experience, while I did see better team play and less isobalt from the Boston Celtics, Team USA in general, I kind of had that like a bunch of talent thrown into a pot that was expected to do well, but didn't because there wasn't any continuity. There wasn't any relationships. And while maybe, you know, Team Shamrock kind of looked a little bit better than maybe we were worried they might have, they're still getting a lot of this blame for a very similar outcome. Did you notice any... Like what? What was your take on on the level of you know ball watching when when no one had the, you know when they weren't you know in possession of the ball or you know just kind of like falling asleep on defensive rotations and a general lack of buy-in? Like how similar was that to you? To I'm sure you didn't watch very intently, but it was kind of hard to avoid the tire fire that was the Celtics season last season. So, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of the USA games, I, I didn't catch You know, the whole game. I would watch a lot of the highlights. Um, but you're asking just as far as how, how does the team look in Team USA versus how they looked on the, the regular season?
0: Um, Just like the performance that you saw on, on Team USA, was there anything there that you saw that was concerning uh, as far as any of the players? And specifically, uh, your opinion on what you saw from the Boston players maybe would also be good to add.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you would have thought that they would have kind of improved as the the series went on and as the games kind of went on to the, what is it, the do or die type games that they had towards the end. And it's kind of concerning that you didn't see that you didn't see, you know, them progressing, getting better, uh, figuring out, you know, ways to, to play with one another. It's just like you said, you know, you have all these these great talents that you would assume that if you put them together on a roster and you get a great coach like Popovich uh, to kind of take them to training and go through camp, and they still can't perform. You know, especially I think someone pointed out today that if you look at Spain's roster and they won the championship, you know, they don't they have Marco Rubio, they have uh, Marcus All. You know, the players that we have, you would think are are a lot better in total um, talent wise. would think, yeah. So yeah, you would think so. You know, it's just a kind of a shame that they couldn't put the pieces together to get that outcome that even with the lower type roster that we had this year with all those stars dropping out, you know, we still should have, you would think, been able to to win pretty easily.
0: Let's let's wrap up this Team USA portion. Talking about Greg Popovich, what's his future with Team USA? Is he going to come back to to the Coastal Olympics, do you think? Or was this maybe so bitter of a taste that he's going to, you know, make like the players who didn't show up and not show up for this. Uh, and how long do you think we have Popovich in the league? I mean, he's clearly the, the league's elder statesman when it comes to coaching respect. It's debatable if he's the best, but he's definitely in the top three or four. How much longer do you think we have him for? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you would ask, maybe like last summer, a lot of people's feelings was, you know, after the Olympics, he was probably going to retire and go off into the sunset. Um, we'd probably end up with Messina as our head coach or something. But now our coaching staff is kind of shooken up. We have Becky Hammond, I think, as the one of the main assistant coaches. And then it's Greg Popovich. And so I think, uh, especially bringing in Tim Duncan as an assistant coach this year, it's kind of uh, brightened things up. And so the feeling I think in San Antonio and in Texas in general is maybe even, yeah, like in other places as well, is that Popovich will probably be here probably past the Olympics, um, at least maybe few years with Tim Duncan past this year you don't really see him going anywhere anytime soon he's kind of uh, I think this year he also moved positions as far as the job title with the Spurs but I know he moved up within the Spurs organization and so that kind of signaled that he's probably going to be here a lot longer than some people were originally thinking
0: maybe transitioning into something of a different role depending on how the assistant coach uh, to coach thing I'm assuming they're going to promote internally given that Five percent of the league, five percent, probably more like 20 percent of the league, if I'm being honest, has connection to the Popovich coaching tree. My question for you, and this is a totally non-Celtics question, but I'm still incredibly interested, is if they do promote from within, who gets the nod to replace Pop? Becky or Tim?
1: It's a tough one. I mean, Becky's been around as a coach um, for a few years now, and Tim's just kind of coming in. We're still kind of uncertain on the the role that he'll actually play. How, uh, I mean, he's going to be on the bench, you know, every game he'll be there, but how much of an impact will he actually have out there? You know, it kind of de- depends on him, the involvement that he wants to have. If he's just going to be out there kind of talking to players and coaching them up, or if he's going to be involved in the the playmaking strategies and being next to Pop, kind of getting ready to, to take over once he's gone. Um, I've kind of seen a lot more of that from Becky, especially this past year. She seems very connected with the players. You know, she seems well at play calling and all the things that you see Pop do, you kind of see that in Becky. Um, so I think we'll tell a lot more after this year, uh, Tim's first coaching year and see how see how he does. I know um, when he was retiring, it wasn't something that the Spurs fans thought they would see, especially so quickly as Tim Duncan come back as an assistant coach. You know, we, we kind of saw him in and out of the training facility, just kind of talking to players. And that was kind of inspiring as fans to say, hey, you know, the, the old Spurs are still kind of there and and talking to players, and that's kind of a something you hope would attract a talent to San Antonio is having, you know, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Tim Duncan just still in the practice facility coaching people. Absolutely. Uh, so to, yeah, so to have him as an assistant coach now, that's a big plus, you know, even if he doesn't become the head coach. Um, it's just nice having him there on the bench and as a Spurs fan going to the stadium and, and just seeing him there all the time.
0: I appreciate how you, you framed your answer. Uh, I honestly think that I would be pretty upset At least based on early returns, since as you said, we really have no idea what kind or to what extent of a coach uh, Duncan is going to be. Uh, I really do think that Becky should be next in line for a coaching job, if not the Spurs, but I would really like to see her take over for Pop. It seems like that would be the most natural transition in my mind for her to take over the reins of that that, that, uh, franchise. Let's take a turn towards something that is a little bit more in your wheelhouse in terms of trades. Uh, Recently, and they're already, the owners, or governors, excuse me, I need to train myself to get out of that that, that phrase. Um, The governors are already backtracking on their, uh, I don't know if I want to say fit that they threw over tampering this summer. um, And pushing back against uh, the tampering rules they asked for as being too invasive. Now, the, the new proposal involves uh, five teams under the random audit per year with in-depth uh, audits being available to anything with, like, I guess, for cause was the very vague language used uh, that was circulating in the press today. Um, as far as any kind of tampering As much as a 10 million dollar fine to kind of reflect the growth of the salary cap over years and the amount of money the valuation of the players who are now governing these teams with even the potential loss of picks by by the commissioner with increased emphasis on player-to-player tampering enforcement without really any description of what that would require. The tampering investigations, they would require uh, teams to turn over hard drives, teams to maintain all contact with agents for the last year. Um, Just some general thoughts on this whole tampering thing and whether or not these proposals are a good idea at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot to ask for uh, from teams, um, but a lot of A lot of pressure on them, a lot of pressure on players. I still can't see it happening. I mean, he's tempering is still going to go on. You know, you have things like um, this Team USA over the summer, or you have a lot of players talking to each other, just, you know, in conversation one-on-one. You know, you can't really record those things or kind of figure out that they happened. Uh, It's just natural players go out to dinner together. You know, they have these conversations, and one thing leads to another, and then, you know, they plan things out maybe for the following summer and then then you have summers like this where so many trades happened and you know as a fan it's it's kind of fun to see the the drama unfold and all the kind of things that happen in the media about the players and it's it's entertaining but at the same time you know when you're kind of loyal to a a single team you kind of always it's always hurtful to see one of your favorite players kind of leave or not like the system so it's good and bad but um yeah, I'm just interested to see how that that plays out in the next year, and how they enforce it, and if they actually find anything, if they actually you know kind of get anybody um, on tampering.
0: I'm sure if they really wanted to, they could. It's pretty obvious, you know. Boston was both the victim and the perpetrator in this last summer. Um, I don't really know if this is a solvable problem in. Uh, you know, kind of airtight sort of way based on the reasons that you outlined. Uh, but I do think that there are there's tons of really smart ideas that have been floated um, that I've heard lots of other podcasters and analysts talk about uh, over the last few months. And I really think that the League should be exploring some alternative ideas to this kind of more invasive approach to like a detective work to uncover things and instead try to create systems of communication that themselves are more open by design, like all official communications take place through a league-controlled media uh, source like Slack or something like that. So that way, you know, even though they're not visible to the other teams and governors, then they they would still be visible in some form by the league. So that way they would just be able to look and say, you know, as as, as long as whatever conversations you're having they don't reach the public eye. And as long as any deals that end up happening take place through this medium, then there's nothing for people to get upset about because there's no Anthony Davis situation. There's no clutch sports situation. All the things that really got under people's skin, I think, you know, the other parts of, of, of so, so-called tampering, uh, a lot of it is, you know, it brings a lot of the entertainment value that we saw that you mentioned. And I don't know that that is necessarily a bad thing because it keeps the league in the cycle of the media without necessarily having to, you know, have players beating the crap out of their bodies to continue the play. So in that aspect, it's a win-win thing. While also still kind of, you know, cracking down a bit to create these most egregious violations that, you know, kind of really hamper a team's ability to do team building. I think there's a comfortable medium out there, and I'm not sure that what they're looking at now is it. So for this week's lab, we wanted to bring you on and really, really dig into the various things that have changed uh, since the last time we talked to you. Now, the most interesting thing I think about this trade checker is the adaptability compared to the rest. For me, my favorite things are the the toggle switch rule overrides, uh, which include the ability to cancel a number of things that, for example, ESPN or other trade checkers uh, will just say, nope, you can't do this, which isn't necessarily helpful because maybe you want to know about what will happen when you can do this. So some of the rules that it can override are the trade deadline and recently signed or recently traded restrictions, rookie signing restrictions, bird right signing restrictions, pretty much anything all the way up down to the fact that you can trade draft picks with or without the step-in restrictions. Another thing that I really like about it is the player detail view, where you can kind of zoom in while you're doing these trades and look at like a general summary of the player, their contract, their recent stats. So could you talk about some of these things, um, and then whenever you're done, just transition to whatever your favorite changes are?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, all these changes that you brought up, they all came out of feedback. Um, people kind of using the trade machine, asking for enhancements to it Um, initially when the trade machine came out the main difference from it and other trade machines was his ability to trade draft picks Um, and that was kind of something that at launch kind of focused on to say hey like this is something you can't do in other places and you can do that here Um, and also the um the overrides to say hey this even though this player may be a free agent or he has a restriction where he can't be traded for whatever reason you can still try to trade him and just match the salaries Um, because of course there's always events where um, you know the league may override something or an agreement may be made where this player does get traded, even though those restrictions were there. And so, yeah, so that was kind of the way it initially was was just you know trading players, trading draft picks, and then um, later on added this uh, settings dialogue where you can go in and see kind of all the checks that are occurring uh, when the trade gets executed in the system, um, and you can choose which rules get applied and which don't. And so, over the course of the year, it kind of rebuilt a lot of the um, the logic behind the the trade machine that we have now. And so whenever you execute a trade, kind of goes off to a back-end system that kind of checks um, over our database of salaries and uh, draft picks. Uh, we have a whole set of rules um, that align with CBA that essentially it goes through, checks them off, uh, gets exceptions that teams may have. If they're um, you know, trade exceptions or MLEs, kind of checks everything that's available for a team to see if a trade can be executed with the league rules. Um, and then of course, it'll actually Take in the settings that you provide, um, the toggles, and it'll factor those in in the trade as well.
0: It's a fascinating tool for me because it's a great way to learn or remind yourself about the the, the, the collective bargain agreement or CBA uh, that you referenced, which is for you know the casual listener uh, the rules that govern what can and cannot happen in terms of not just trades but really everything in the NBA. Um, so. This is a great tool, not just to check trades, but to educate yourself. So that way, when you know you try to do something and then it says you can't do this, then you can go over to, for example, LarryKuhnCBA.FAQ.com and check and see what exactly it is that is the barrier to the, the this trade idea that you have. Uh, There's so many, you know, tedious posts on Twitter or Facebook or whatever of somebody out there who who thinks that they have just solved the NBA and says, who says no? Uh, And that lovely phrase we all love to hate. And the, the people who say no are the people who wrote the CBA most often than not in those situations. I I really encourage people who have not tried this trade checker just to go there and check it out for that particular reason. I've got some, some uh, personal things that I would like to see more of. I would like to see more people being active in the Reddit community that you created and link to it. But some, some specific changes I would like to see was color coded by position so that way you might be able to end or sort by position. I don't know if that's something that would be feasible, I think for me at least it would be useful because sometimes I'm trying to find you know, a team that has too many centers and because I want them to be a good trade partner for Team X and I go running around looking for, I don't know, somebody's depth charts from some other website and it would be so much simpler to just be in one place and just you know, click, there you go. Or just look and see how many of this particular shaded uh, player uh, is available to be traded on a particular roster. Another thing, and you can kind of do this uh, to a certain extent with like the deadline on off thing uh, toggle switch, but the ability to toggle into the, the coming season uh, near to or you know, just like one season in advance to be able to switch based on the existing books, whatever books that were currently, whatever contracts were currently on the books, for a team that you would then be able to project into the coming season who would be available to trade. Obviously there would be some changes, you know, you don't know if those players are definitely going to be there. You don't know who they're going to sign and what that will do to the cap, but it would still be useful, at least to me, in my opinion, maybe not everyone agrees, but to me, like one of the things that I hated about the ESPN trade machine was until you got to the date of the new NBA calendar year, you were stuck
1: yeah yeah I mean that's a, a big thing, uh, especially since you know these other machines kind of restrict you from trading players at all um, until the following year uh, you know starts. And so like right now um, on the site, we have our, our settings dialogue that, that kind of shows the figures that are aligned for the year. Um, and we actually do have a, a big site refresh that's coming um, trying to launch by the start of the season. It's kind of a major change for the site. Uh, we'll have a lot of new pages, uh, we'll have a lot of player team pages that break down salaries and kind of team salary cap structure uh, that will also include some tools that, that kind of, as you mentioned, allow you to kind of find a player that meets a criteria, whether it's just position or salary, uh, kind of find, uh, make it easier to find a trade partner and as well as kind of fast forward when you're in the trade machine, maybe fast forward to the following year to see who's on the books for that year. And so if you may be able to say, hey, try this trade in the following year, these are all the players that have contracts um, that will be there in the following year, and then you can execute those trades uh, maybe towards the end of the season if you kind of don't want to wait.
0: That is Absolutely fascinating! I am wicked excited to see this because if you were glancing at the show notes for today, uh, you could see that one of the things I didn't just mention uh, was to see kind of like more collaboratory stuff, more, more, you know, incorporating uh, ideas from, for example, cap gurus. And it sounds like I don't know if you were bringing outside people, uh, but just the fact that you're going to have that information in kind of like a one-stop shop uh, situation—that sounds fascinating to me. I would love to see you get more, you know, blogs, pods, uh, just any kind of media involved uh, in kind of the way that basketballreference.com ref- does with specific articles related to, to teams. And, you know, in your case, it could be exclusively dealing with trades and cap related issues, but that might be another way to kind of like help amplify what you're doing while amplifying the work of other people. So I don't know if you, if that would be something that you would be open to, but something that occurred to me that might be useful to you. If you already have that on tap, I'm super fascinated to hear on it, but if you could just tell me a little bit more about these changes, because I'm, I'm super fascinated to hear about them.
1: Yeah. So, so right now the site revolves kind of around this, this trade machine um, but we actually have you know a whole bunch of data that we aggregate from other sites, and um, that we can put all in one place so you can visually see you know what moves that you can make even with other tools that we can possibly make in the future. And so our, our kind of goal is to say, hey, we have all this data, let's display it in some form that's easily shareable, easily discussable. So maybe you know right now that we have a big social aspect of where you can just share a trade out in Reddit or Twitter, and then people start talking about it. Um, so what we want to do is kind of bring those, some of those events to the site where if a player is talking about wanting to get traded from a team, uh, maybe we can show a stream of related trades that people have created on the site related to that event, um, as well as let players kind of another type of feature that we're trying to create is let players create trade packages where maybe just instead of one trade, it's multiple trades that you can offer or just say, hey, I made all these trades, you know, in relation to this event that could that's occurring right now. Um, what do you guys think? You know, you see a lot of things out there right now where, where people post up like 10 trades and say, oh, these are 10 trades that could happen if this summer if so-and-so, you know, agrees to it. And so, yeah, just kind of trying to bring a lot of discussion, tie it in with a lot of social events that are out there right now. And of course, partnerships is something that, that we're looking into and we're open to uh, from other sites, blog sites, uh, podcasts, of course. So it's just kind of trying to open up the community there and just bring in more communication.
0: Very cool. I, I would really like to see more data visualization as a former data scientist in my anthropology hat wearing career. Uh, that is the thing that ultimately takes a lot of this wonky data driven stuff that a certain subset of particularly older, but not necessarily exclusively older people um who are NBA fans, don't necessarily connect with as much. Data visualiz- visualization is a fantastic way, I think, to draw more people into what is an increasingly vital approach to to understanding team building and the stuff that happens before the players take the court that make it so interesting in the first place. So I would love to see how that pans out. Um, can you give us some information for our listeners so that way they, besides, you know, trade, uh nba.com um just what what are what are the ways that they can get engaged with the site besides just going to the site
1: yeah sure uh so we have our, of course our site and uh, the main form of communication we use right now is twitter uh so the site's twitter handle is at trade mba1 um a lot of people will kind of post trades um, towards that account or ask questions about features if there's issues with the site you can usually reach out through that means and we'll respond pretty quickly. Yeah, and also just following updates. We post a lot of things about um, just basketball news. um, So you can kind of follow the account if you're a basketball fan, uh, just learn about site, but also just to kind of keep up with different things um, going on in basketball.
0: Very cool. Well, Zach, I will let you get on your way. We are recording this pretty late at night because we are both basketball junkies. Uh, Anything you'd like to say before before I let you go?
1: I guess just a, another question kind of tying back into the data visualization, we've kind of been looking into seeing what would be most useful to visualize um, as far as tools. And so what do you think could be best represented through visualization for, for basketball data?
0: Realistically, uh, changes in in teams based on additional subtractions of certain players to kind of get a feel for their impact uh, on teams Changes in you know team composition and season to season, uh, you know where their defense, where their offense uh, tends to go based on the changes that they make. Like really anything for you, at least in my mind, the thing that would be most important to emphasize is ways to visualize how trades impact team building products. Off the top of my head. Those are the things that stick out to me the most. I'm sure if I spend a little more time on it, I I could come up with some other issues. I will definitely put on my my thinking cap and get back to you on that. Uh, But if any of our listeners have any particular ideas, uh, please let us know. You can, as usual, uh, leave any comments of any kind in the podcast tweets that we use to promote the website as well as the hashtag clpod uh, we kept that after the transition transition from celtics life uh make sure you check those guys out they gave us our start and we always want to support them so It's going to the independent uh deep dive format of celtics lab now as regular readers know you can find the pod on most podcatcher apps please subscribe. So you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please us five stars. Or more importantly, tell a friend. Get them to listen. That does more than anything else you can do to support the show. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, if you don't like something, just use, you know, a Twitter comment or the hashtag on any social media, CLPOD. We're always trying to bring you the deepest dive into Celtics coverage. Thank you so much, Zach, for, for joining us again. Looking forward to another season with lots of trades and the visualization um, across several new ways that you will be able to help us find our way. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to join.